Well, like I said, we're moving into a new portion of the series, uh, kind of the third and final portion. We've gone through created, we've gone through broken, and now we're getting into the section on redeemed sexuality. And so this first one is kind of an overview of some of the things we're going to be talking about. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 49. Um, in all honesty, I could spend, you know, I could have preached on the entire sermon, but that would have been really, really long. So, uh, or the entire chapter. So I just encourage you, go home, read all of 1 Corinthians 15 today and meditate on it throughout the week. But this morning we're going to focus in on verses 35 through 49. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Amen. I'm going to migrate because this feels weird. I'm, you're all over here and I'm over here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And I'm, hopefully I'm still in the live stream. Um, there, there's been this kind of interesting phenomenon going on in our, in our culture. Uh, I don't know how long it's been going on, um, it's just, but it's gotten me thinking, and I want to talk about it a little bit this morning, not because I, I actually have all of the answers for why it's a thing, or not even because I really understand like why this has become popular, but um, I noticed a couple years ago that every new TV show and every new movie had to do with zombies. Did you notice that? Like, everything was about zombies. Zombies here, zombies there, zombies everywhere. And it, as a pastor, I wonder, well, what's that all about? Like, why, why are we obsessed kind of with zombies, and why, why all of this curiosity? And like I said, I don't fully know why that's become a thing, but, but one of the things I've realized,
realize as I've kind of been thinking about this is that uh, zombies, this picture of like the walking dead, is really just uh, a corrupted version of the resurrection. They're kind of the world's picture of the resurrection. If you, if you remove yourself from Christ and remove yourself from God, the resurrection is just a zombie, someone who has died and has come back to life. Um, but when they come back to life, they're kind of destroyed, they're kind of rotten, right? Like body parts are falling off of them. They're really like unhuman, and most of the time they're evil, right? You don't really know of good zombies. They're always trying to kill everybody, right? And so... It's, it's this kind of interesting idea that when, when you turn away from the true and living God, that's really the only picture of resurrection you, you have. And, and what struck me was, as I was studying our passage this morning, people have been asking these kind of questions for a long time, right? That's how the, our passage starts. It says, someone's going to ask, how are the dead raised? And it's, it's asked with kind of a skeptical tone, like, how are the dead raised, really? And what kind of body do they have? And so, if you think about that, like, can the dead really be raised? And if the dead are actually raised, what would they actually look like? And you think, okay, one answer to that has been zombie movies. And I don't think they're actually trying to answer that in a philosophical way. I think they're just trying to, I think they're just trying to answer it in a way that would bring entertainment. But the way that they're answering the question, I think, actually just mocks the true resurrection of the dead. Because... They don't actually believe in the resurrection of the dead. They don't actually believe that zombies exist or could exist or that anyone could actually rise from the dead. And yet, as Christians, we do believe in the resurrection from the dead. Which is why Paul responds, really, you might think, you know, wow, that was kind of harsh. Because he says, someone's going to ask, can the dead be raised? What kind of body would they have? And Paul says, you fool. And you think, that was kind of harsh. He says, you fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And so you think, man, it's kind of being harsh that Paul says, you fool, that you even question resurrection. And we would think, well, it's kind of hard for us to believe in resurrection. I mean, doesn't that seem like something supernatural? And Paul says, actually, it's not. It shouldn't be that hard for us to believe in the resurrection because we're surrounded by it every single day. That we live in a world of resurrection. It's everywhere. This tree a few months ago was dead, or it looked like it was dead. And then what happened? It came to life again. Like we live in a world that every year, every year we, we watch the whole world around us die. And then it comes around again, and then the whole thing bursts to life again. Our whole, our whole yearly cycle is a cycle of resurrection. Those of you who are gardeners know you see this cycle of death and resurrection where you plant a seed in the ground and the seed dies. And out of that seed, it's new life, resurrected life out of that seed. We don't call it that, but they used to call it that. And it says everything around us, the grass we're standing on at one point was a seed that died and rose to new life again. And so we walk through a world full of resurrection. And, and we're taught in this passage that that world is constantly teaching us that resurrection is real. It's a beautiful, glorious thing, and it's very different from a zombie. And, and as we go through our passage, it lays out some of these principles that we have to understand about resurrection. And it uses the analogy of the seed. 
And it says in order, when you put a seed in the ground, before it can burst forth into life, what has to happen to the seed? It has to grow. The seed dies in the ground before new life bursts forth out of it. That's, that's necessary, and that's resurrection, and it's happening all around us. And then, and then the next step that we learn from that is when, when that seed dies and it grows, Paul, our passage says, what you sow, what you plant in the ground, is not the body that's to be. It's a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. And it's the reminder that this the seed that we plant in the ground when we're gardening is not what we expect to pop out of the ground, right? You, you stick a kernel of corn in the ground, and you do not expect a bigger kernel of corn to come out. Or, or even a little kernel. I mean, a bigger kernel of corn would be better than the little kernel of corn, but you, you put that in the ground and you expect something else to come out that's bigger, that's better, that has a different type of glory. One teeny kernel goes into the ground, ends up resulting in a stalk that comes up and reaches up to the heavens and produces many, 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 many different kernels of corn. It actually, that teeny little seed turns into something that's much greater after it dies. That's what resurrection teaches us. Our passage goes on, it says, and God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind, each kind of seed its own body. And so we usually focus on, yeah, each comes up according to its kind, right? You plant a kernel of corn, and what comes up? tree comes up, right? Not a peach tree, not a pear tree. Uh, they, they come up. And so each comes up according to its kind. But what I want us to make sure we don't miss in this is that who gives it that body according to its kind? It says God gives it that body. That we, we kind of are so used to just the natural way of things that we expect we put a, you know, we put a kernel of corn in the ground and we expect a stock of corn to come up and a glorious stock forget that that happens over and over again, but God does it every time. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about when you look at the grass. I mean, think of how many millions of blades of grass we're sitting on. And every one of those, God said, you're going to grow and you're going to grow and you're going to grow according to your kind. And, and so everything that's planted in the ground dies, comes up into new life, and it comes up according to its kind because God says, you will be this kind that you are planted. It's, it's a work of God doing resurrection all around us. And then we're told that there's, there's different levels of glory, right? There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, and it says even stars differ in glory. And we know that, right? We look out across creation, and we see there are different levels of glory. There's differing glories throughout. So... Um, as much as a farmer wants to say a stock of corn, you ask Roger DeYoung, he'll say a stock of corn is glorious, right? But a, but a rose might be it's a differing glory. I wouldn't even say it's a better, but it's a differing glory. The sun is a differing glory from the moon. And, and really the point that, that is being made in this passage is that a kernel of corn in and of itself is glorious. It, it really is. But after it's planted, and the new life that rises from that kernel, that new life is even more than the kernel that was planted. 
and I've, all of those kind of principles that we made out of this then are taken and applied to our own bodies and our own resurrection. And it, just like the seed that's planted in the ground, when our body is planted in the ground, we have to die. We have to die before we can experience the beauty and the glory of the resurrection that's to come. Just like the seed has to go in and die, we too have to suffer and we have to die. But on the other side of that is resurrection life. But then, just like the seed, after we die and we're planted in the ground, God comes eventually and gives us a new body, and that new body is something that's way more glorious than the body that was planted in the ground. Just like a seed of corn something more glorious. And so we're, we're going to rise from the dead one day, and we are not going to rise like a zombie, falling apart and stumbling and bumbling around. We will rise into something that is actually glorious and majestic. And our passage does this by kind of contrasting what our bodies are like now and what our resurrected bodies will be like. It says, what is sown, what is planted is perishable. But what is raised is imperishable. What is sown is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, and it's raised a spiritual body. And then he says, if there is a natural body, saying you kind of know you have a natural body, you can be guaranteed that there's also going to be a spiritual body. I mean, it's this powerful reali realization that I don't think we think about often enough, that, that our body is going to be planted in the ground one day, and the body that's planted in the ground is a body that is weak and fades away and dies. But we're told that the body that's going to be raised again from the dead by our God will be imperishable, which means it will never fade. Nothing will fade. And it will never die ever again. The body that's planted in the ground is planted in the ground and has dishonor and, right, we treat the dead differently. There's, there's something there. But when it, the body comes up, it's going to be raised in honor and glory and power. Your body, this, this weak mess of a thing, will be raised one day in glory and honor. And, and it says it was planted in the ground in weakness and it will be raised up in power. And it also says it will be planted in the ground a natural body, but will be raised a spiritual body. And I want to spend a little time talking about that because I don't think we always get what he's talking about here. Um, I know I didn't for quite a while. And, and, one of, and one of the reasons why I didn't understand it is because one of the things I've been talking about throughout this series that I think the church has kind of made a mistake over the years and they've kind of downplayed the importance of the body and overemphasize the importance of our soul and our spirit. And so we, we read this passage and we hear, well, what's planted in the ground is a natural body, what's raised is a spiritual body. We think, yeah, what's raised is a spirit. And there will be a spirit and a soul forever with Jesus. And that makes sense to us, that that would never die. But we miss that it says what will be raised is actually a spiritual body. That the resurrection from the dead will be a spiritual body body will be physical, tangible, just like Jesus Christ. 
That's why when Jesus rose from the dead, what did he do? He said, touch me. I'm not a spirit. I am a body. Touch me. He ate. He drank. And he, he said he's the first fruits. He's the first harvest of that resurrection. So all of our bodies will be raised just like this. And so the, the question is, why is it called a spiritual body? What's the difference between a natural body and a spiritual body? Um, that's complicated. But here's the easiest way to understand it. The natural body is, is this body that we have, right? The body of dust is what the passage says. And it's a body that, that is weak, right? We need food, we need drink, we need sleep. If we don't have those things, we will just slowly fade away. We'll die. We need those things. We need to keep putting energy into our bodies so we don't just fall apart and decay. That's the natural body. But we're already told when we rise again from the dead, our body will be imperishable. Think about that. You won't need to eat in order to fuel your body. You'll just eat because it's good. But you won't need to do it to fuel your body. You won't need to sleep because you need to recover your body because your body's not fading away anymore. You will just take a nap because sleep is good. And so that the natural body will be gone away with. And so now we'll have a new body that won't fade like that. And we're, it's called a spiritual body because our whole body, and it's hard to fully grasp what this means, but we'll be kind of overcome and empowered by the life-giving Holy Spirit. Like we will be so owned and overcome by the Spirit that that's where all of our strength and energy will be. We will be spiritual bodies, fully in tune, fully in step with the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I thought it was so important for us to spend the last number of weeks looking at these types of things is because well, we spent a number of weeks looking at all the brokenness, right? I mean, I think we probably spent, I don't remember, seven, eight sermons looking at all of the brokenness of our sexuality in the world around us. And I think it's important because, let's be honest, we're surrounded by it. We're, we're surrounded by it, and it's right, right here in our own hearts as well. And so we need to take some time to, to understand it. We need to take some time to understand how to interact with it, like our own sexual brokenness, how to interact with those around us, how to support, how to fight it. But it's also important for us to look beyond all of the brokenness that we see to what's coming on the other side of that brokenness, which is the resurrection. And, and, and when we focus and we remember what our bodies are going to be like at, after the resurrection, we're reminded that the way things are now are not the way they will always be. And to apply that specifically to what we're talking about in this series, all of the sexual brokenness we see in the world and all of the sexual brokenness we see in our own hearts will one day be planted in the ground and die. that it's, it's not going to be there anymore. It'll be completely redeemed, completely restored, and, and we will be able to go through life experiencing our bodies and our sexuality the way that we to be. And so remember that when we remember that the way things are now, the way that they're always going to be, it's a reminder to us that we should never define ourselves according to our own brokenness, or the brokenness in the world, because that's not how we were designed to be, and that's not what we're destined for. Yeah, we're going to struggle now. We're going to have this our own brokenness, and some some of us are going to have a brokenness that we're going to wrestle with our entire lives. 
on this earth. But that brokenness eventually will die. We will be raised to new life and turned into something glorious. And so we, we, have, to, we have to look beyond the struggles and the brokenness here to what's coming on the other side. And I want to focus on one aspect of this a little bit this morning because um, it's, it's pretty incredible, I think. I, you know, throughout this series, I've been reminding us of, of three things, right? We were created body and soul. We are created to be in relationship, and we're created with these desires, right? And then we spent the next part saying it's, it's all been messed up, right? Our bodies and souls have been broken and messed up. Our relationships have been messed up. Our desires have been all disordered. Um, and the beauty when we start to look beyond to the, to the resurrection is that at that point, at the resurrection, now our bodies and our souls will be reunited and restored and will be saved. resurrection and our desires our desires that are all messed up and disordered and all over the place they'll also be healed in the resurrection i want to spend a little time on that because i think that's that's part of what it means to be to be raised a spiritual body when when your body when all of you is overcome and overwhelmed by the holy spirit that means all of your desires will be in line and in tune with the holy spirit and with our god and that means that you will no longer desire anything bad or evil or wicked, but the only things you will desire are what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful. And here's the When all you do is desire the true and the good and the beautiful, do you know what God will spend the rest of eternity doing? Filling those desires completely and satisfying every desire you have because all of your desires will be and in line with God's will. You'll keep filling and satisfying every desire. You'll experience zero, zero frustration of your desires. And you'll do it over and over and over again for eternity. And I remember reading, I don't remember how long ago it was. I was reading uh, a pastor, his name is Jonathan Edwards. So he was from a long time ago. He's mostly known for a sermon, you know, sinners in the hands of angry. God, right? Everybody's like, ooh, he must be... He actually wrote, like, twice as much about heaven than he ever did about hell. Um, and he wrote this one sermon about heaven, and I wish I remembered the name of it. But in that sermon, he started to describe what heaven would be like for believers. And he said... Let's be my paraphrase, because he didn't say it like this, but have you ever had one of those experiences where you're, you're talking to someone, and all of a sudden some people call it, like, a light bulb moment, or like your mind was blown all of a sudden, like all of a sudden your eyes were open and you saw the world in a way you'd never seen before, and you're like, whoa, I've, I've never experienced that before. Jonathan Edwards says that that's what heaven will be like for eternity. Because God is infinite, he's always going to be above and beyond us. And so he says, when we get to heaven, it will be this process where we get into heaven and God will expand our mind to be able to understand him and see him in a whole new way. And we'll go, whoa, I never knew God was like that. I never could imagine that he was this glorious and that beautiful. And then God will do it again. And he'll do it again. And he'll do it again. And he'll do it again for all of eternity. And I think that's right and that's beautiful. Um, but I, 
I think that's true, but I also think that applies not just to our intellect, and Jonathan Edwards had an issue with focusing too much on the head, but I think that applies to our heart as well. When all of our desires, I mean, just imagine all of our desires are going to and God's going to come in and he's going to inflame those desires for what is good and right and beautiful, and then he's going to satisfy those desires for you. And then he's going to inflame them more and open up your capacity for desire. He's going to Again, and that's going to happen over and over and over and over and over and over. I just have, it's not too much of a shot, but that sounds a lot better than like floating around on a cloud with a heart, right? I mean, that's what heaven will be. When, when we're told we're going to enter into the joy of our master in heaven, it will be that increasing joy and pleasure and satisfaction for the rest of eternity. It's, it's a powerful reminder. And yet in the midst of that, the passage gives us kind of this sobering reminder. It says, but it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural. Then the spiritual comes. And it's a reminder with all of the beauty and all of the glory that's out there waiting for us in heaven. It's a reminder that doesn't come first. What comes first is the natural. What comes first is the struggle and the brokenness and eventually death. But that comes first. And we don't like that because we want, no, just skip me through the, the struggle and the pain. Get me to the resurrection. I want that. I want joy and peace and mind blown over. I want that. And it says that's coming. But first is the action. First is the struggle. First is death. But when that day comes, glorious. And, and it's, that's why it's so important as, as we live now in this moment and we look forward to that glorious day of resurrected bodies. We we need to keep our eyes on Christ in this life. Because we're still here in this natural body, in this natural life where there's struggle and there's brokenness. And so we need to we need to hold on to Christ this life by, by faith. And and one of the other sobering realities of all of this is, is that apart from Christ, on the one hand, apart from Christ, we don't get to experience any of the joy or the glory. We will experience, everyone will experience a resurrection. But the fearful thing is, is that some will receive a resurrection to life through Christ, and others will receive a resurrection unto eternal death. And that is sober. And we need to remember that in our own life, but even as we go through the world as well. And so we, we need to look to Christ in this life, because he's the only one who can redeem us, restore us, forgive us, and, and open up this way to eternal life with him. He's the only way. We have to grab hold of him by faith and look to his life, his death, his resurrection. But, but we don't just do that at the beginning. I keep reminding us that. We do that at the beginning. We enter into this path toward eternal life. We enter into this newness of life in Christ, and then every day after that is lived by faith in Jesus Christ. As we experience brokenness in, in our own life, we grab hold of Christ by faith and say, I can't get through this apart from you. I can't be renewed or redeemed or restored apart from you. And so we hold on to him. And then the 
is that he begins to give us a little taste of that resurrection even in this life. We're not going to experience the fullness of that renewal until after we die. But because of his grace and his mercy, we begin to taste just a little bit of that. We begin to see sins kind of dissolve away, struggles dissolve away. We begin to see relationships restored, desires restored, our bodies and our souls restored through him. We taste a little bit of it now. now is nothing compared to what's the resurrection. One of the, one of the things I thought about, I, I know, you know, obviously you're my congregation, I know many of you, and I know many of you have experienced some like radical transformation in this life through Christ. You, you say, like, I once was this, and I'm no longer this, I'm completely new here. And that's powerful and glorious, but it's actually nothing compared to the transformation that's going to come through the resurrection. So I, I just want to encourage us as we, as we go through this life, we take every step by faith. We get in the midst, we get in the valley of the shadow of death, we get in the pit of despair, and we grab hold of Jesus by faith and say, I can't make it through this without you, and hold on to me, Jesus, until I get to the end when I will be made completely new. When, when you find yourself just struggling with relationships, you see brokenness all around you in a relationship, you grab hold of Christ by faith and say, help me. Give me a taste of that resurrection and renewal now in this life. But I hold on to you by faith because I know that in the end you will redeem and restore all of this brokenness one day. And when you recognize all of your own desires are all distorted and all over the place, you recognize that you're always chasing after all of these other things, you grab hold of Christ by faith and you say, forgive me, renew me, restore my desires. Help me look toward the day when all my desires will be rightly included. I'll only desire what is true and beautiful, and I'll spend the rest of eternity being satisfied and filled in those desires. Let's come to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to give you thanks. We give you praise for being our God. We give you thanks and praise for the beauty picture you give for us of our resurrection at the end of time. And we thank you for giving us that, giving us that to look to, to hope for, and giving us that to pull us through this life till then. And yet, Father, we confess that we often get caught up in this life and in this world. We, we forget about the glorious hope we have in the life to come, but even in this life. And so, Father, we ask your forgiveness all of the mess we have inside of us, Father. But we pray that you would not only just forgive us from that, but you would renew us and restore us in this life and increasingly each and every day give us more of a taste of that resurrection life to come. The renewal of our bodies, the restoration of relationships, and the reordering of our desires then. Lord, give us tastes of the, that now, but then empower us and lead us through this life For that day by faith. We pray that you will pull us through to that day and we will experience true fellowship with you, the true renewal of our bodies and souls, and all of our desires will be right and recorded. We will be filled by you, Lord.